0: Hi, friends. This is the second episode in a row that editing me is kicking off. Hello. This would ordinarily be a Patreon-exclusive episode, just like every second episode here on Witchcraft for the Restless, but I wanted to show you all what my bonus episodes are like. I wanted to give you a little bit of a taste. Um, They're usually like this and cover just one topic. They're usually mini-sodes, but from time to time, they might be full length, like my episode on Cannabis and Witchcraft, which is... I think that was episode 2.5? And Patreon witches also get a bunch of other stuff like tarot readings or handmade gifts and bonus posts and resources, a whole bunch of other fun perks. So here's a little bit of a taste of what you'd have access to as a Patreon witch. I also forgot to mention that I didn't have access to my regular microphone when I recorded this, so that's why the rest of this sounds like I recorded it inside of a tin can. So let's get on to the episode. Hello, all you extra special restless witches. Get cozy, get yourself some tea, grab something to keep your hands busy, and put on your pearls in preparation of clutching because today's episode is entitled racism in my magic. Welcome to this Patreon exclusive episode of Witchcraft Witchcraft for the the restless. Restless. Finally, a lot of talk of diversifying your social circles or the shops you buy from, the people in your social media feeds, and making sure that your day-to-day language is inclusive. But what about our spiritual practices? What about the things that feel so quote-unquote old that you don't question their origins? A lot of witches, myself included, are solitary. And I've heard too many times that if you're just practicing by yourself without any contact with anyone else, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it because it's just between you in spirit and it's your own personal craft, but we can all choose where to take influence from in our craft. We can examine the reasons behind why we choose to do or say something, and in my opinion, a witch sort of has to be able to be introspective. Examining the whys and hows and taking notice of the collective energy that what we do or say is bringing into our practice is sort of important. We need to also be able to turn that magnifying glass on ourselves. And on our traditions and practices. Why did you choose that herb? Why is it spelled that way? Why do we call on the elements? And just knowing the reasons why we do things. This isn't going to be about what like practical effects racism will have on your spirit or magic. Um, and by this I mean your magic isn't going to behave completely differently because you inadvertently used a phrase or word with problematic roots. But The things you say and do in your craft do have real-world consequences and social impact, so being mindful of the whys behind everything in your craft is important. If you fully understand why it is you're doing or saying a particular thing, it gives you more power to choose what is and isn't included in your craft. What historical influences are you taking from? Why is this included in your craft and something else isn't? Why is it important to you? Even though saying something inadvertently racist won't necessarily completely undermine your ritual or spell, how you act and who you emulate in your craft does have an effect. It will affect the energy that you work with, it affects whose spirit you're invoking, and in the mundane world, if you're disregarding anything problematic that might be in your spiritual practice, you're probably also likely ignoring when it gets pointed out that things you do or say are problematic in the real world. Racism in the neo-pagan community as a whole is, it's a big topic, and it's everywhere. Um, and that's a topic that would take a little bit of every single episode to cover. So today, there's a couple of really common things that I want to touch on that might not even register as racist to you, and these things are worth examining. So, the first thing that I want to talk about is the spelling of magic with a K, and the other is a little bit more obvious, which is the use of the phrases light or white magic and black magic. So, I first learned about this on, like, a zeitgeisty type level. I knew, abstractly, that Crowley had popularized the spelling of magic with a K, and I also knew that he was a (laughs) shite person—racist, misogynistic, anti-semitic, and all-around xenophobic. And he really wasn't quiet about his thoughts on this either. And I also knew that the main reason witches who use that spelling say they use it is because it distinguishes it from stage magic which I never really understood. I had stopped spelling it that way a long while ago simply because I thought the distinction from stage magic was unnecessary and a little bit silly, but it crystallized for me and made it more of um, a choice, a conscious choice not to spell it that way when I saw a post on Tumblr by Wintercraft um, and I'll link that in the description. And that put all of those sort of nebulous abstract reasons I had for not using that spelling in one place. So that's a really good um, little starting point, I think. Since I was already not spelling it with a, a K, just you know, personal preference, this is an example of my behavior not needing to change, but the reasons behind it needed to change, or at least I needed to be conscious of why I was choosing to spell it that way, or not spell it that way. And I think that that's a really important thing to take note of and acknowledge. If you don't notice when your reasons for doing something changes, will you be able to spot it when something you're doing doesn't have the right intentions behind it? Your internal motivations behind your actions are important. And as magical practitioners, we all know that intention is important and mindfully choosing what is included in our craft is important. And I want to talk a little bit more about um, when you're doing the right thing, but you're not conscious of the reasons why you're doing them or you're not doing them for the right reasons. So here's a little bit of an example. There are lots of... I'm not racist, but and then they continue to say something racist. There's a lot of those types of people out there. And I personally know many. <laughs> and their reasons for not doing or saying racist things are often not in the right place. But their behavior of non-racism is good. They're just not actively anti-racist and their reasons for doing them. The non-practice of racist behaviors doesn't have to change. Like, that's a good thing. <laughs> but the reasons behind it do. If your reason for being non-racist is that it upsets them, them meaning whatever minority they're talking about, that's not a good reason to be non-racist. When you're being actively anti-racist, your reasons behind it is not just because someone will get upset about it. It's because they're wrong. (laughs) Just straight up wrong. And they're wrong even if there's no one present to get upset about it. So the internal motivations here change from because someone would get upset about it, to because humans should be treated well, and I choose not to contribute to the systematic oppression. And on the same token, if you do or say something that is pointed out to be racist, you just have to acknowledge it, change your behavior, and make sure you understand why. So, magic with a K. I don't want or feel the need to go over all the various ways in which Crowley was trash, but it's important to highlight a few so that you understand why emulating anything this man did is just bad. (laughs) He wrote an entire essay entitled The Jewish Problem. Like, this isn't just some casual racism out there in his occult books. This is blatant, prideful, white supremacy and nationalism published on its own. And I, uh, I feel uncomfortable speaking his words out loud to illustrate this, but here's a quote, um... It comes from the new comment on Lieber. He says Christians and other troglodytes, (laughs) but most especially the parasites of man, the Jews. Ew. His statements about other groups of people are equally disgusting. He vehemently hated pretty much every group of people that wasn't his quote unquote his people. He didn't shy away at all from things like racial slurs or perpetuating uh, really harmful stereotypes. And I'm sure he even fabricated plenty of his own horrendous racial stereotypes. I can only imagine how he treated people that he came into personal contact with. Like, if this is how he wrote publicly, imagine how he treated people day to day. And he said this of Christian women (laughs) in The Law is for All, (laughs) another one of his works. (laughs) He said... And I quote, her virgin life is a sick apes, her sexual life, a drunken sows, her mother life, all bulging, filmy eyes and sagging udders, unquote. Ugh. And granted, his point here was that Christians are too focused on the, quote, purity and innocence of women, but that didn't stop him from talking about women like their animals with no will of their own. And he also attempted to do something like reclaiming the word whore for women, to be empowered by? He basically went, whore, you're a whore, and you should wear that name proudly, because you're basically just here for sex and pleasure. And about the word whore, he said, and I quote, and with that word is uttered women's freedom, end quote, as if he is some holy person bestowing the gift of being called a whore upon us. <laughs> now, as an ace lady, the thought of someone saying that all my power and pleasure comes from sex is... Horrifying. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I've said his first name yet. Um, his name was Alistair Crowley. I just sort of... He's hes a big name in paganism and neo-paganism and the occult, so I just sort of assumed that people are familiar, but my apologies. His name's Alistair Crowley. Um, and his writing on women is strange in that it often is horribly blatant and negative, but other times he sounds almost feminist with all his female empowerment and stuff. But... It all comes from a place of believing that he knows exactly what is best for everyone. It's also strange that he typically talks about men as men from whatever ethnicity. Like, he'll specify the ethnicity when he's talking about men. But when he's talking about women, we're all one group. So he makes sure to distinguish himself above all men of other ethnicities, but also above women as a whole. When researching for this, I came across um, an old message board from the 90s, (laughs) which is, it's old, but it's still relevant because his writing hasn't changed, and this sums up his writing on women quite nicely. So this is from a message board, and someone called VH wrote, When dealing with, quote, women as a class, Alistair Crowley is sometimes purely negative and other times weirdly pseudo-feminist. The passage I mentioned in The Law is for All, for instance, effusively praises women, but what it praises them for is making the enormous sacrifice of, quote, living the life of a cow, unquote, accepting incarnation in the weak and stupid and ugly female gender, purely in order for the race to go forward. To him, the only point of women, even existing, is childbirth. And he says so at a number of places, this is not so much damning with faint praise as it is damning with exuberant praise based on the offensive and demeaning stereotypes. Yeah, so well said, VH. And there's a reply to this with a passage from um, Confessions of Alistair Crowley. Alistair wrote, quote, "'Morally and mentally, women were from beneath contempt. "'They had no true moral ideas. "'They were bound up with their necessary preoccupation "'with the function of reproduction.' Their apparent aspirations were camouflage. Intellectually, of course, they didn't exist. Even the few whose minds were not completely blank had them furnished with Warder Street Chippendale. What? (laughs) I imagine that he's just, um, commenting about the frivolity of women's imaginations and things? I don't know. And he goes on. Their attainments were those of the ape and the parrot. These facts did not deter me. On the contrary... It was highly convenient that one's sexual relations should be with an animal with no consciousness beyond sex. So that's what he thinks about women. Um, yeah. And there's so much more evidence of his anti-Semitism and xenophobia, and I'll link those in the show notes. I'm not super comfortable saying his words directly out loud, because I don't think that anyone should be subjected to that without, you know choosing so so I'll leave those links in the description and you can read them at your leisure (laughs) and I hear too often that his writing was from another time and that it was all just accepted and it was the accepted way of thinking of the day and that somehow makes it okay but that's crap like that's that's nothing I hate that rationalizing for anything from contemporary examples of racism to historical ones they're all bad I hate that rationalization or that excuse because it was only, quote, accepted by the ruling class, white cis het men. Women and black indigenous and people of color were actively fighting for our rights and gaining them during Alistair Crowley's lifetime. Crowley lived from 1875 to 1947. So Gandhi's movement to free India from British rule had already happened. The Civil War had already happened. Some women were winning the right to vote and others were still actively fighting. He absolutely saw humans fighting for their lives and their rights within his lifetime. He absolutely heard the criticism of anti-semitism. White men get away with saying horrible shit because their peers accept it. So it is, quote, accepted. But it by no means excuses it. Bigots not caring what the people who are directly affected by their racism have to say doesn't mean that they aren't aware of the harm they're causing. It doesn't mean that they're not aware of what they're doing and saying. So, basically, everything that he believed when it comes to human people is crap, and I honestly really don't care how correct he or anyone is about spirituality. And I can accept that he and his contemporaries were hugely influential when it comes to what neo-paganism looks like today, but to that I say, why does it need to stay that way? Why does it need to look like that today? Why do we need to continue being influenced by people like him who were so blatantly xenophobic just because they say some cool spiritual stuff? There's other places to get your spiritual fulfillment that aren't based in a trash person's worldview, so why continue being influenced by that? I received a comment on a post where I was talking about this that said, it's literally just a one-letter difference. Some of you really need to get a hobby LMAO. (laughs) And it's like, exactly. It is such an easy change. It's, it's just one letter. Just take it out of there. It's so easy. Like, it's now that it's brought to your attention, it's such an easy change to make. And I think that it's important to make these changes. I'm not going to tell anyone that they need to stop spelling magic with a K. But I do think that examining why you want to spell it that way is important. Because the distinction from stage magic is just, it's unnecessary. We know you're not talking about illusionists. We know the context of magic versus stage magic. So make some changes in the way that you speak day to day and how you think about the origins of things you practice, as well as these big whole system changes that need to take place to make the world different. So do you really need to keep spelling it with a K? Do you really wanna be influenced by him? It's a choice. And just because something is popular doesn't mean that using it isn't a choice. You can choose to take influence from other places. So, on a similar thread, but one that might be a bit more obvious, are the terms black and white magic. The term black magic doesn't have a racist origin for how it was very originally used, but it was also not used to describe wicked or malevolent magic. It wasn't used the same way as we use it now. Black magic comes from the root of negromancy, where negro refers to the actual colour of black, not a skin colour, and it originally described a specific subset of rituals and divinatory practices without ascribing them moral, good, or bad natures. So it was just sort of like saying, oh, cosmic witchcraft. Like, it was sort of just a category of things. (laughs) But today, we use black and white magic to mean bad and good, respectively. Same words, completely different meaning. We use them completely differently today. And the way we use them today does have racist roots. To quote an article entitled, White Magic, Black Magic, Racism and Esoteric Thought, by Brandy Williams, there are white and black people. Are white magicians physically white? Are black magicians dark of skin? Of course not. White and black don't describe magical skin color. These color words are a symbolic way to mark good and evil. They have no relationship to the physical world. Any offense is inadvertent unintentional and an unfortunate coincidence of esoteric and practical terms, or at least we'd like to think so. However painful it may be to acknowledge, our noble aspiration slots seamlessly into the invisible groove of ancient prejudice, the linkage of white to light to sacred development in the context of the justification of slavery and specifically the white enslavement of black people. So basically she's saying, A lot of people just think that, oh, that's not what those terms mean. Those terms, black and white magic, have nothing to do with skin color, so of course they can't be offensive. But that's not true. Their roots come from very offensive places. So let's get um, back to the beginning of why, okay? Light, in terms of actual light waves from the sun or other light sources, has long been a Western symbol for enlightenment and knowledge and sometimes divine knowledge or just, you know, regular, mundane, enlightening of the mind. Light later came to symbolize goodness and purity. But light doesn't mean white. So why do we use those terms interchangeably? That is all thanks to the Age of Enlightenment men, thank you guys, (laughs) who believed that white and black held opposite fundamental natures. They believed that they were scientifically proving that white was good, and black was bad. They were men of science, but also alchemy and spirituality, and they had their fingers in so many different areas, and that's why their racism has dripped so grossly into so many different areas of study. We see their influence everywhere. Isaac Newton might be the most recognizable name from that age, but Robert Boyle was the other man who did the bulk of their research, quote-unquote research, in that area of colors and their nature. While he did have some really revolutionary theories that hold true today, like how color isn't a quality in itself, but it is instead how we perceive light hitting our retinas, or how black absorbs light and heat while white reflects it, like those things are true. He wrote about those. Those things are still fundamentally true. But Boyle didn't want to just merely gather facts. He wanted to establish a new way of understanding the world. He didn't just discover a bunch of physical properties of color and light, but he also believed that skin color was the result of some outside force. That whiteness was the high standard and default, and that black skin, quote, seemed to be but the epidermis, or the outer skin, um, because dissected bodies were, quote, white on the inside. Boyle's experiments examining the nature of white and black didn't only refer to the actual colors, black and white, but also to skin tones, which are not truly white or black Um, and it's a clear example of these quote scientific findings being transposed and sort of smooshed onto society just because basically he's an empire apologist is that the right term imperial apologist and then there's John Locke he was a member of the royal society that Boyle founded with 10 other people and he made the radical claim that the government must protect life, liberty, and property, and that the people may legitimately overturn governments that violate these rights. Sounds great, right? (laughs) While others were opposing slavery, he was working to justify it. He was Boyle's mentee, and he adopted a lot of Boyle's racist ideas. He somehow equated a white body with a rational mind and a black body with an irrational mind, and I'm really not sure how white... The actual physical color embodies rationality. (laughs) But that is what Newton and Boyle and Locke worked to prove their whole careers. They used it to justify the ownership of black slaves and basically just to enforce the status quo and enforce the power that white men hold. It also might be pertinent to point out that these men believed that these findings were completely unbiased, clear, and, quote, faithful in their findings. They thought that they were ignoring their own opinions completely, and is that not just very familiar? (laughs) Just like today, when people are trying to categorize race scientifically, when it's been widely observed and proven that race is a social construct and whiteness isn't inherent, but it's dependent on the dominant social structure of the time. Whiteness has not always meant the same things. The races we consider white now were not always considered white. Whiteness is a social construct. And that, my witches, is why we conflate white with good and black with bad, because racists wanted to justify their treatment of people of colour. This week, ask yourself why you do things in your craft. And when you're asking yourself these questions, it's not about finding the purpose of the practice, it's about finding why those practices exist in the first place. The air quotes purpose of spelling magic with a K is to differentiate it from stage magic. But the reason behind why we do that in the first place is because a trash heap of a person made it popular so next time you call it black or dark magic pause take a second to recognize it correct yourself with a synonym that isn't born out of racism try baneful or malevolent and continue on with your life and examine some other things in your craft These are by no means the only examples of racism, hidden racism, in neo-paganism, so just take a look into some different things this week. By the by, since we're talking about, quote, black magic, I'm not anti-curse at all. (laughs) Hex the patriarchy. Defend yourselves, curse your abusers, curse whoever you feel like, really. I'm not here to dictate how you practice your craft. I'm here to provide you information from which you can make your own decisions. So until next time, witches, Here's to staying curious. Be well. If you'd like access to all the other bonus content that's already up, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash therestlesswitch. If you have any comments or questions, or if you'd like to be featured in wrestlings from the Grove, you can send a voice message via the link below. You can visit my website at therestlesswitch.com, email me at therestlesswitch at gmail.com. Check out my Etsy shop, The Restless Witch. I'm on Tumblr and Instagram as @therestlesswitch and Twitter as restless underscore witch. If you found value in this episode or any of my other episodes, you can toss me a couple dollars or buy me a coffee at co-fi.com slash therestlesswitch. And the music this episode is Nady Sabe by Knit Your Own Scarf. You can find more of their music on freemusicarchive.com and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye!